Now is the time to accelerate innovation. T-Mobile for Business is powering Formula One Las Vegas Grand Prix operations and epic fan experiences with secure, reliable 5G connectivity. Because an event this big and this fast deserves a network that can set the pace. See what our 5G advanced network solutions can do for your business at T-Mobile.com slash now. View 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. This is Tracy V. Wilson from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a Corolla built just for you. Check out more national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Whether it's your first time betting or you've been gambling for years, have a plan and know the game. Be aware of the rules and odds before you gamble. Set a budget and never gamble with money you can't afford to lose. Take a break and consider teaming up with trusted friends to help you stick to your budget. Remember, if you or a loved one has a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER 24-7 or go to helpmygamblingproblem.org for free confidential services. NFL Total Access is a production of the NFL in partnership with iHeartRadio. It is Thursday, October 20th, and you are listening to NFL Total Access, the podcast. That is the voice of today's special guest, the former number one overall pick, the Super Bowl champ. He's as nice as he is handsome. He's David Carr. DC, we haven't seen you since you were in the UK. Welcome back to the States, my friend. Welcome back to the pod. Thanks, buddy. Glad to be here. Glad to be back. Got some salt on my food now. I feel better. (laughs) Shots fired at under-seasoned food on the British Isles. I am your host, NFL Network senior writer, Andrew Lavian, and today I am pleased to bring you another Throwback Thursday special because David Carr's NFL story is unique. It is fascinating. It is as painful as it is triumphant, and it is one that you need to hear. David, settle in. This is not going to be about analysis. This is going to be about sharing your truth and your story. So shoulders back, deep breath in. Here we go. Let's start with the dream. What was it? Was there a moment as a little kid when you said to yourself, I want to be an NFL quarterback? Maybe you said to yourself, I'm going to be an NFL quarterback. Take me back to that day, that time. My dad bought me a pair of shoulder pads and a, and a helmet with a, a Dallas Cowboy jersey from a company called Hutch. And it came in a little box and I threw it on and I started running around the living room playing catch with my dad. I don't even know, man. I might have been four or five years old. It's literally a memory that I have before school started. So I, I must have been around that age. And I just remember watching the Dallas Cowboys on TV. My grandfather was there, had his feet up. He had just preached Sunday morning. And I'm running around playing catch with my dad. And we're watching the game. And we're just bonding. And it was like one of my earliest childhood memories. And then from that point on, all I remember is literally every day playing catch with my dad and getting to hang out with him. And so that is what started it and his love for the game. And he would record all of the games that the the quarterbacks of the day would play. Dan Marino, John Elway, you know, all the way up to even when I was a little bit older, you get into the Troy Aikmans, the Steve Youngs, and he would literally VHS record these games. And we would go back and watch them and he'd slow them down and we'd watch the mechanics. Then we'd run out the back door and we would mimic those guys. And I would try to take things from certain guys, Dan Marino's ability 
to extend the ball away from his helmet. And that's what my dad believed would get more power on the football, a quicker release, just different things from each guy that uh, we would, we would bond over and then go out and work on. And it was great, man. I, I had an amazing childhood and I started to love the game because my dad loved the game and that's, that's how it happened. And then the rest is history, I guess. Born in July, if my research is correct, of yeah. 1979 in Bakersfield, California. What was it like growing up as a, a Bakersfield kid in the eighties? Because <laughs> let's be honest, music and fashion was deplorable everywhere else. I can only imagine it was excruciatingly, specifically bad in Bakersfield. It was horrendously bad. There are there are several moments in my childhood that I remember, uh, specifically a hot pink outfit that my mom bought me with shorts. They were so extremely short and a tank top. I felt like I was naked. I wasn't wearing any clothes. And she sent me off to school. And I'm like, this is this can't be right. And then I was ridiculed at school. I was mocked for my, my clothes. And all I was trying to do is get her child in something presentable. It wasn't even close. I'm riding my bike home that, that afternoon, and my Dodger hat flies off my head. And I go to grab it, and I just endo right over the front tire. I'm a complete bloody mess. And then, and then my buddies come around the corner. It was like a, the, the worst thing that could happen. It all happens in a span of about eight hours. So I'm walking home, bloody mess in these hot pink shorts and a, my, my Dodger hat's all scratched up and I was so bummed. But that was it, man. That was like life in Bakersfield. I was like trying to keep up with whatever trend was out there. We weren't going to do it. Like it wasn't going to happen. So I, I'm glad that as I got a little bit older, it, it wasn't as big a deal for my parents. That was probably what saved me. Like they were, they were almost anti-culture, anti what was going on. They just believed in hard work and discipline and, and obviously – you know, doing your job, st- saying what you mean, all the all the uh, just foundational beliefs that my my grandfather passed down to my parents, and and that I was just blessed to have because if it wasn't for that, you can you can lose yourself pretty quick in a city like Bakersfield when there's not much to do. You can get into a lot of trouble. A lot of my friends got into a lot of trouble. I was I was the guy that was on the football field working after practice. My friends still like. Some of them tried to join a band. Some of them went off and tried to motocross. And they all still come back as I talk to them. They're like, you know what? You haven't figured out because you you were actually working after practice to become something. We were just we were just playing the whole time. And and I think that's honestly what what was able to get me and my brother, Derek, kind of somewhere beyond the Central Valley region is the fact that we had we had parents that gave us a, a different mindset and we were we were constantly thinking about the future and thinking about what was out there and working towards something where a lot of people kind of just get stuck, you know, there it's, uh, it's unfortunate, but I'm, I'm definitely blessed that we had that. Uh, it was your future. It was potentially your destiny. Do you buy that? Is this something that you yeah. had to do? Um, and if the answer is no, then what else would you have done? I didn't have a, a backup plan. I remember talking to my wife, Melody's mom the first time that she sat me down in her living room and really wanted to know why I was dating her daughter what were my plans for the future and when I told her that I was just going to be an NFL quarterback she just basically laughed at me and said no but really what are you like what are you going to do and I'm like ma'am I have no other plans that's what I'm doing so that's acceptable to you I would like to go try to achieve that and I had never honestly I was 17 18 at the time I never thought about what could happen if I don't have that? And it's not something like when I go out and I talk to different high schools and we coach high school kids now, like it's not something that I, I struggle because I don't want to say, hey, cut the net, man. Like no safety net. Like that's dangerous and like scary to say to kids. Sure, sure. But I didn't, I didn't have a safety net. I did not think past 
I'm going to be a professional athlete. So I think that in some ways that can be good because I didn't have a backup plan. Now, of course, I would have figured something out. I was in school. I was doing well in school. Went to Fresno State, fine institution, as you know. But it was uh, it was never really an option to not play football. So I think that, that there's something to that, man. I think there's something to that. And I think you can uh, you can get uh, – the more people I talk to that are that have been successful in, in business and other things, like they didn't have a backup plan either. Like they were going to do this thing. And I think that there's something to that. So not don't cut the net, but like make don't sure – Don't rely that, on the net. Don't rely on the net. Exactly. Yeah. Don't cut it, but just don't rely on it. You know, and I think that, I think that can be beneficial. The image of a young David Carr at his high school sweetheart's house talking to his future mother-in-law. It's, it's something out of a Frank Capra movie or potentially a Norman Rockwell painting. And of course the, the caption on the Norman Rockwell painting is, I'm sorry, ma'am. I don't have a plan B. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's literally exactly that. And I still give her a hard time. She tries to forget the story. I'm like, hey, uh, hey, hey, Linda, you remember when uh, you told me that I couldn't do what I was going to do? <laughs> she just tries to completely, I love to do it like at family gatherings, like where they're the most possible people around at my house. You know, it's, it's my favorite thing to do. I love it. She's great, though. She's fantastic. Oh, of course she is. Um, okay, so we talked dream. We talked destiny. We accidentally talked uh, dates. Um, of course, she ended up being your permanent date. We'll talk about Melody in a moment. But now let's talk a specific date. April 20th, 2002. Ring any bells? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I know that date well. Changed draft my day. Yeah. It was draft day. The Houston Texans have the first overall pick in the draft, but this is more than just a draft pick. It is the christening of a new franchise. What are your memories of that day? That day was crazy because I remember taking the bus to where the draft was. Hulu Theater, Madison Square Garden. Yeah, so I'm there in the bus pulling up, and I basically know where I'm going because I had just flown from Houston, from my home in Houston, right? So all I remember thinking is, what if they... Whoa, 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 back up, back up, beep, 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 back the bus up. So let's get this straight. There's no mystery here. You said from your home in Houston. So you had already purchased a home in Houston on the apparently airtight knowledge that you were being drafted by the Texans first overall. How long had you known before April 20th, 2002? About, about three weeks, about three or four weeks. Um, we, we had been actually in Houston and, and known, and it was, it was, it was the worst kept secret in the world. Of course there was no social media then, but people all knew, right? You don't, you don't yeah. just have a guy come by a house in that neighborhood and then, Oh, he's the, oh, by the way, he's 20. You know, like, who is this guy? Oh, he's the quarterback. <laughs> right. so like, that was basically where, the funny part is I had no money. Some crazy bank allowed me to move into this house and just said, oh, yeah, I guess he will be the first pick. So I don't know where that, how that happened, but great job by my agent, I guess. But we didn't have no furniture. We had nothing. Like, we just were in the house, like, ordering pizza, hanging out. It was fun. Like, I would go you know, talk with the, the, the Houston Texans brass and like, it would be fun. Like we were just hanging out because they had nothing to do either. They didn't have a team before that, you know? And, but I started, we show up to Madison Square Garden and Mike Williams, Julius Jefferson, none of these guys know where they're going. And I remember thinking, well, I'm, I'm going to go back home. That's where I'm going to go. Like, I don't know. Mike Williams, remember, I don't know if he'll hate me for telling this story, but so he was, he was a guy and he was like, the only place I don't want to go is Buffalo. If I go to Buffalo, I'm not playing football. And he gets drafted to Buffalo, and he played like a year, and that was it. He was like, I'm done. It was it was crazy. A man of his word. A man of his word. He said, and I love Mike Williams. He was a fantastic human being. Um, he was a blast to be around for that short little stint. But that was that was a crazy time. I also remember right before 
uh, Paul Tagliabue said my name, I remember thinking that they could still trade me. Like something yeah. crazy could happen. Right. Oh, and so I was, I, I knew, and I knew where my house was, obviously. But I was like, am I going to fly back to Houston? Like, what could possibly happen here? So I started talking to my agent about it. And then I talked to him about 30 seconds. And then Tagliabue says my name and the rest is, is history. But it was a... Uh, it was a great time. The enduring image for me from that that piece of video of you being drafted is you step out, and of course you're wearing a suit that's about eight sizes too large for you. Okay. And um, but again, uh, uh, twas the time uh, right. for oversized suits, right? And uh, and you're out there, and that the, the the ball cap, of course, comes on. The Texans ball cap comes on, and uh, and Tagliaboo pulls the pulls the brim of the hat up as if to say young man we need a better shot of your face and what did you what did you do a millisecond later readjusted readjusted put it right back down to where you wanted it to be i want to wear my hat sir i'm sorry (laughs) back as you wear a hat like don't put a hat on me if you don't want me to wear the hat like just have me hold the jersey up and we're fine like i had beef with paul for a while but it's uh I'm over it. As you can tell, 20 years later, I'm totally fine. I'm over it. But yeah, man, just let them wear their head. Little brother was there. Derek was there. Uh, told told, told Tagliabue he was going to be back one day. And he was, sure enough. But it was fun, man. It was a blast. The whole family uh, was there. Was Linda there? Did you call Linda afterwards and say, uh, ma'am, I told you so? She was there. I made sure she was there. I wanted her to be right there holding the jersey with me. Like I said, I enjoy this thoroughly. Like I'm never going to not live this, uh, live it up every time I get any opportunity to present her on the national stage as the, you know, the anti whatever I was doing, even though she was not. She was just very concerned about her daughter. I understand. I get it. Now is the time to accelerate innovation. T-Mobile for Business is powering Formula One Las Vegas Grand Prix operations and epic fan experiences with secure, reliable 5G connectivity. Because an event this big and this fast deserves a network that can set the pace. See what our 5G advanced network solutions can do for your business at T-Mobile.com slash now. View 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. Whether it's your first time betting or you've been gambling for years, Have a plan and know the game. Be aware of the rules and odds before you gamble. Set a budget and never gamble with money you can't afford to lose. Take a break and consider teaming up with trusted friends to help you stick to your budget. Remember, if you or a loved one has a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER 24-7 or go to helpmygamblingproblem.org for free confidential services. Okay, quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. Obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform with one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com slash stereo right now. NetSuite.com slash stereo. NetSuite.com slash stereo. 
This is NFL Total Access, the podcast. Now, your debut on the national stage as an NFL player, week one, yes. you get a win. You get a win. You get an unexpected win in week one. What were you thinking? What happened on in that game? And what were you thinking after that? Game? Well, it was so, like, like I mentioned with the Cowboys, that was my favorite team growing up. And, oh, well, look who we have here, the Dallas Cowboys coming to town. And Emmett Smith still played for the team, a guy I grew up watching on my grandfather's rug in his living room. It was uh, it was a crazy experience for me. The atmosphere, I was fortunate enough to be uh, with the Giants when we won the Super Bowl in Super Bowl 46. That atmosphere was identical from like the noise and even like it might even been crazier from an emotional standpoint for the fans in Houston because it was the first game back since the team had left several years ago. So there was a lot of energy in that room. The smoke from the fireworks stayed until like halftime. It just hovered in the, so there's like this cloud, like floating over, you know, that whole arena. It was, uh, it was fantastic. We scored on the first drive. Um, I lose my mind. I don't even know like what I did. I, I know I ran down and hugged Billy Miller, who was the tight end that caught the touchdown, but it was, uh, it was a absolute whirlwind. We end up hit Corey Bradford on a touchdown late and we end up scoring. We get a safety. It's pretty much game over at that point, and it was just euphoria. And my grandfather was there. I'm surprised he wasn't wearing a Cowboys jersey. He was wearing a Cowboys hat, <laughs> uh, Cowboy hat and boots like he always did. But that was an awesome experience because my entire family, my entire childhood was there in, in, in the building and got to witness that. It was surreal. It was really kind of, like you said, unexpected. We didn't really know how, like, I had no idea. Like, I had no bar. Like, how good are these NFL teams? Like, preseason, whatever. Yeah. You know, played. You don't get a real sense, you know, but we beat the team that I had grown up watching. Like, well, we're going to win 14 games. Right. And then we played the Chargers the next week. And I got hit like 20 times. Junior Seau just absolutely destroyed our day. And I was brought back to reality. I'm like, well, maybe we won't be as good as I thought we were. But that Cowboy game was still pretty awesome. Uh, you're the envy of most little kids. Uh, you, you know, you, you played a decade in the National Football League. But our reputations as professionals, and even more to the point, as people, when in the hands of other people can be a very vulnerable thing. And in the hands of others, your career has been defined as a cautionary tale, a disappointment, and harsher still, as a bust. Now, that's easy word choice from a world inclined to invite conflict, right, and ignore context. How would you David, how would you describe your career? I had an O-line coach in Houston, ironically enough, tell me after a game that I had been sacked like eight times. He said, never apologize for great effort. And that's really, it's stuck with me because all you can ever do in anything is do your absolute best. And I was drafted into a situation that wasn't great. Um, I didn't know any better at the time. There weren't a lot of veteran guys around to kind of give me direction. So I'm in the room as a young kid trying to figure out how to mentally prepare for a football game, how to go through the rigors of this whole thing. I'm getting a lot of different information at the same time. I would get information in the quarterback room, walk down the hall, get different information from the offensive line coach. And so I'm trying to, I'm trying to digest all of this and then go out and perform at the same time. And so it was a difficult situation. I, I couldn't have done any better. I tell people all the time, it's like, there were mistakes that I made and you would try to learn from them. But over the course of my time, or especially early on in Houston, I just don't know what else I would have done. Like I try and think back 
would I have done this differently? Would I have prepared differently? I prepared as well as I could prepare, as well as I knew how to prepare. It wasn't as good as I could have done because I found later with my five years with the Giants, there was another level of preparation that you can get to. And when I played there, the game was easy. I play, I tell Sean O'Hare all the time, all these guys, that, playing with the New York Giants, that's what it should have been. That's how I feel. When I would go on the field with those guys, we'd walk up and down the field, you know? And so it was, it was, it's frustrating to look back and say, man, I wish I could have, I wish I could have been in that situation. I look at Ben Roethlisberger, got drafted a couple years after me. He goes to Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh was, everyone knew, they're a quarterback away from a Super Bowl team. He gets drafted in Pittsburgh, great organization, structure, good team around him, good offensive sure line. Enough. Boom, Super Bowl, right? And so it's like, wow, I wish that could have been that situation. But then I, but then I find myself saying, oh, I wish I could have. But I was, I've been so fortunate in my life to be able to at least do what I did. I, I have a hard time feeling sorry for myself. I just, I'm thankful for the opportunities, thankful for the ability to play in this game. I'm thankful that I was able to even survive a lot of that so that my little brother could sit in the room next to me when he's 12 years old with Andre Johnson and Gary Kubiak and learn from those guys. And he would, Gary was great. He would let him be in the quarterback room. And Derek was taking all this information. And then he was able to go out in junior high. And he was like, junior high football is easy. High school football, that's easy. College, seen it. NFL, first start, I'm in, right? So I'm more like family legacy, like the people that are around you. Let's see if we can move this thing forward. It's not about one person. Like it never has been for me. It was never like that when my family and I were going, my dad, he could have easily spent his off time because he worked a lot not playing catch with me, not recording the quarterbacks and trying to pour into my life. So when I look at my career, I'm, I'm just thankful, man. Like, yeah, it could have went differently. Obviously it's great. Um, that would have been fantastic for me to actually be the guy that got to be the reason that we held up the Super Bowl trophy in New York. And I looked at Eli Manning and I'm like, like my dad, I remember he was standing right next to me. He's like, you could be right there. I'm like, I know, I know it, that different circumstances happen. Sure. Right. And sliding uh, doors. Yeah. So, but I, I, I try not to dwell on that. I just look at the overall picture and, and I'm thankful for it, man. Honestly, Look, the life of a professional athlete is defined far more often by losing than winning by failure than success, right? One team gets the confetti. One team gets the trophy. Every other team doesn't. Right. It's better luck next year, year after year, after year, after year. So I think how we metabolize losing, how we make our peace with losing and try not to get used to losing is probably the key to longevity as a professional athlete in any sport. What does losing do to you? Because I think, David, your brand of losing 249 sacks in five years, that hurt your body, but does it hurt your soul? Does it make you stronger? Does it make you bitter? How did losing affect you? Well, it's hard because you never want to become a habit. You never want to become comfortable with it. And that's what I was constantly fighting is not being just comfortable going out and, and losing a football game. And I, every one of those games, every one of those sacks tore me up inside because there was something that I could have done possibly sometimes not, but could I have done something to prevent that? And you work, you work 24 seven. Like when you're playing quarterback in the NFL, that's why I get so frustrated when I see guys now, they take it for granted the position that they're granted. You're handing it. That's why I love Cooper rush. Like, yeah, he lost the game the other night. But, man, that guy sat around for five years, and then he got his shot to start again, to, to play, and he took advantage of it. Yes, he, he did. Every ounce of ability that he had and preparation, and he did what you're supposed to do. And so I get frustrated when guys don't prepare that way and they, and they don't come ready to play. Like, and you can see it. Like, when you watch film, you can see it when guys aren't ready. 
you can see free rushers come. You're like, he didn't have an answer for that. He's not ready for it. He's not ready for that blitz. He didn't spend enough time with his guys talking through that with his coaching staff, having an answer for that. And there's good quarterbacks. Like, got to use air quotes here. There's, there's quarterbacks that people consider to be good quarterbacks that do not put the time and effort in. And that, that's the biggest waste. Like, that's the biggest – my biggest pet peeve is wasted talent, right? And if you have that ability to do something and you don't put every ounce of effort into it, if you do, then great. And you lose, then you spent yourself in a worthy cause. But if you didn't, right, then you're selling yourself short. You're selling the people around you short as well. Another date, February 5th, 2012. Ringing bells? Yes, it does. Love that date. Super Bowl 46. You mentioned it before. Now, you, you've dropped a story uh, behind closed doors before, and I want to I throw those doors open, and I want you to share the story. There was an image that I just love of you post win the final whistle has blown the Patriots have limped off the field. You're celebrating on the field. You're looking for your family. You find your family. And all of a sudden your child is being passed around like a collection plate at church. Talk me through that. Tell me that story. Crazy man. So yeah. So it happened. The ball hits the ground. Nobody catches it. Brady's Hail Mary. I look over. He's defeated. I'm totally depressed. Of course. Not at all. Tom Coughlin's running on the field. I first run out on the field, and then I, I, I'm in the celebration for a little bit, and then I pivot because I know where my parents, I know where my wife, and I know where my children are sitting. And I look that direction, and, and the place is going nuts. And as I start to make my way back over, my wife and I make con- eye contact, and she has, like, the look of, I need to get down there. My boys are already, like, they've turned into, like, extreme sports athletes, and they're, they're climbing people they're making their way. Like, I'm not concerned about my three boys. They're going to find my wife starts to hand my daughter, who's six months old, through the strangers, right? Through the crowd, the Super Bowl. And every one of them is willingly, like, yeah, okay, she needs to get to Dave. Sure. And they're just kind of passing her like it's the collection plate at church. And I'm watching this happen like, this is crazy. Like, this is one of the most surreal moments of my life. We always win the Super Bowl. Nothing better. It's fantastic. Let's make sure my daughter gets here. And then she does. The crazy part about that was, and I didn't tell you guys this last time, she was asleep the whole time. So the whole passing of the child, she stays asleep. And I have a picture of her, which I, I have to get to you. I'm holding her on the field after it's over. Michael Strahan had run up and hugged me, and we were having a great conversation. Everybody, we were holding the Super Bowl trophy. She's knocked out. Like, she's 11 now. She doesn't remember any of it. But she was completely asleep through the midst of this entire chaotic scene, which was actually one of my favorite pictures of all time. I love that. I love that. The peace and quiet of a six-month-old amidst all the bedlam. And look, David, as the father of a six-month-old boy, uh, I am feeling something a lot like envy right now. So well played. Now is the time to accelerate innovation. T-Mobile for Business is powering Formula One Las Vegas Grand Prix operations and epic fan experiences with secure, reliable 5G connectivity. Because an event this big and this fast deserves a network that can set the pace. See what our 5G advanced network solutions can do for your business at T-Mobile.com slash now. View 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. Whether it's your first time betting or you've been gambling for years, Have a plan and know the game. Be aware of the rules and odds before you gamble. Set a budget and never gamble with money you can't afford to lose. Take a break and consider teaming up with trusted friends to help you stick to your budget. 
Remember, if you or a loved one has a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER 24-7 or go to HelpMyGamblingProblem.org for free confidential services. Okay, quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. Obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform with one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com slash stereo right now. NetSuite.com slash stereo. NetSuite.com slash stereo. This is NFL Total Access, the podcast. David is the father to six. Yeah. He is the husband to his high school sweetheart. Uh, he is also, as all of you know, the older brother and the mentor to an NFL star. Were you Derek's hero? I think so, yeah. Well, he said that a couple times. And I, I get like, I don't want to be that guy. Like, I'm just trying to be a brother. But sure. I, I think uh, I've heard him say that more than once. And I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. Well, good. I, I'm glad you should embrace that because I have heard you say that he, your little brother, is your hero. It's true. That's why that's why I have a hard time saying it because I mean, how often does that happen? That you can say, Oh, that's my hero, and then he in turn says the same thing back to you. So I think that that's where I have a hard time accepting that role. I feel like um the fact that we were twelve years apart, I think actually was a good thing because I have another brother that's three years younger than me. And we have a great relationship. I actually coached with him at the high school, at Bakersfield Christian High School, where Derek went to school. We have a great relationship, but we were more, we butted heads a lot and we still do. And it's, but it's a great relationship. But me and Derek were a little bit separated. And I, I kind of took that as like, almost like a mentor type role. And I talked about him sitting in the quarterback room in Houston with Andre Johnson and Gary Kubak and throwing routes with Andre and like working through that. I really saw this moment where, I could see myself at that age and I know how much my dad poured into me from a physical standpoint and trying to understand the mechanics of throwing the football. But I wanted to be for Derek because I knew he had that because he had the same dad. Dad was doing the same thing with him. I wanted to be that guy that could give him the mental edge and and have him when he goes out on the field, have like immense clarity in what he's seeing, because I knew that that was the thing that was the hardest for me. I talked about not really having like a veteran guy or a way to prepare as I stepped into my role in Houston, that was what I wish I would have had. Like if I, if you asked me one thing I wish we would have had in my career, what would I have done different? I wish I could have had a veteran guy that really could show me the way. And that's what I tried to be for Derek. And so that's hopefully what I was able to do is as he was 12 and preparing for junior high football, I wanted him to be the most prepared and for it to be mentally easy for him. And honestly, that's the thing I'm most proud of is when I watch him play, He's never tricked. He's never confused. Now, he's a smart kid, and he watched a ton of football, and you have to love the game to be able to gain that edge. And he still has to pour a lot of himself into the tape and into the film room to be able to have that understanding. But he's not surprised by anything that happens on the field. So that's that's the one thing that I 
I, I, when I sit there and watch the games now, like I'm comfortable watching him play. Like some people ask me, like you stressed out. I'm like, yeah, I get like, I get anxious for him because I can't do anything about it. But I, I know he's in complete control in way more control than I ever was on the field. So I don't concern myself with that. It's the other 10 guys that are out there with him that I get concerned about. So I'm, I'm fine with what he does. And it's, uh, that's, that's what I'm most proud of for sure. Talk to me about uh, another concern that you may have. That's a concern you don't have. And I'm very surprised to hear that. And I'm thrilled to hear that. I find that fascinating. Do you bristle when you hear him criticized? How do you protect him from all of the noise? How do you encourage or teach someone to tune out all that noise? Uh, yeah, it's a good question. So when I, when I talk to Derek um, about that, which is very rare that we talk about that, but I'm pretty blunt when I tell him that in, in this game, you're, you're as a quarterback, you're going to be praised and criticized. And you have to ignore both because neither one of them are going to help you on the field. You accept too much praise. You start to listen to what people are telling you and how good you are. You're going to work less. You're not gonna, you're not gonna push it. You're gonna have that edge. You're gonna have the chip on your shoulder, right? If you start to listen to too much of your criticism, you're gonna start to believe it, even though some of it may be warranted. Ninety percent of it is not. It, they're just picking things out that they think is wrong with the team, and so they put them on you. It doesn't help. It, it really doesn't. I I beat myself up a lot because when I was playing, I would do that a lot. Like I said, I didn't have I didn't have someone to tell me that. Hey, even ignore the criticism sometimes from your own coaching staff, sometimes from your own front office. Because I tell him all the time, quarterback is king. Like, you are the guy, right? You have to remember that. You're in control. There's been seven coaches, head coaches, come and go in Las Vegas, in Oakland. He's still there, right? You're the king of that team, right? There's an owner. But if, you, if, if something is happening and you don't want it to happen, fix it, right? They'll, they'll get someone else before they change you out if you keep that mindset. Because I know, I know who he is on the inside. I know that he's not going to be that selfish guy. I know he's not going to be a guy that says, oh, it is all me, that the only reason we're winning. I know he's going to place blame on himself before he places it somewhere else. I know he's going to work harder than everybody else in that building. So I know all those things that are already going to happen by default with him. So that's what I tell him. I just tell him to just, you just got to shrug it off. Like it, it's not going to help you. All it's going to do is take away from your preparation. If I'm spending five minutes thinking about the negative things that someone has said, that doesn't, not that, not my, not my position coach, not my head coach, you know, but some random person, if I'm thinking yeah. five minutes about that, then I'm not thinking about the Denver Broncos. I'm not thinking about the Kansas city chiefs, right? I have no chance. Like I'm, I'm limiting my opportunities and for my team to go win a football game. So it's pretty easy when you look at it, cause you don't have a lot of time, you know, in the NFL guys are, you got coordinators and head coaches and play callers spending every waking minute trying to figure out how to stop you or how to help you win. Right. So if you're as a player and especially as a quarterback, if you're not doing that, then you're already, you're already going to lose. You're already at a disadvantage. David, what do you want back? If you could tell, I, you, you've, you've mentioned that you would have loved to have had uh, an older player, some veteran leadership around to yeah. help guide you. You didn't have that. So let's talk about the conditions that you did have. If you could go back and tell your 20-year-old self something you know now that you didn't know then, what would it be? Oh, man, that's really good. Um, yeah, so when I first started, I was just kind of, I was playing a lot on emotion. I thought football, I thought football was a game because it was for every other position. I thought it was a game that you had to play at a heightened emotional state. But the more that I realized it's just being able to think clearly. I talked to Steve Young about this uh, one time. Is it the Super Bowl? Is it a dead a dinner? 
and he was talking about mental clarity. And when he finally was able to rid himself of what everyone else was talking about and because he was an emotional guy too. He would run around a lot. He'd make a lot of dynamic plays. He would do that, but then he was also able to have clarity of mind in what you're thinking, what your thought process is. Always had a always had a plan B, C, D. Because a lot of times you get in trouble when you try to predetermine as a quarterback and and it's not there instantly. You don't have a plan for the next thing to happen. I would love to be able to sit down with myself and just be like, it's not an emotional sport for you. You have to check yourself out of that. You have to be like ice in your veins, assassin, load the gun up, make the shot, put it back in the suitcase and get out of there. Like that's the mentality you have to have as a quarterback. I was able to impart that on Derek, but that was something I wish someone could have told me a long time ago. Because I thought it was an emotional, like I have to be at the same level as the fans. Not really, not the case. It's more important to be able to think clearly because there are so many different options. If you have 22 guys on the field, they can literally do anything, right? So you have to be prepared and have an answer for all that stuff. I wish I would have known that before I tried to go out there and just play at that emotional high all the time. Translation, take this to note, everybody. Feel less, think more. That's right. I want to thank today's guest. He is a man of faith, of family, a man of humility and humor and dignity and grace. He is a man of immense talent. He can bring it as an analyst, and he can sling it as a quarterback still. Just ask Patrick Mahomes and Dak Prescott. They know what I'm talking about. Uh, Career stats and record books only tell part of the story, and this man is living proof. Because anyone who knows you knows, David Carr, you are winning now as ever. Thanks, buddy. I appreciate that. This has been NFL Total Access, the podcast. Join us tomorrow for Friday Answers to Sunday Questions. It's your complete viewer's guide to week seven in the NFL. Who wins? How do they win? What's the score? Who stars? Who stumbles? Who's on upset alert? And who should I start in fantasy? That's Friday. Till then, ciao for now. NFL Total Access is a production of the NFL in partnership with iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Whether it's your first time betting or you've been gambling for years, have a plan and know the game. Be aware of the rules and odds before you gamble. Set a budget and never gamble with money you can't afford to lose. Take a break. And consider teaming up with trusted friends to help you stick to your budget. Remember, if you or a loved one has a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER 24-7 or go to helpmygamblingproblem.org for free confidential services. Introducing the first ever Grand Highlander, a mid-sized SUV with the ideal combination of space, performance, style, and advanced tech. The roomy Grand Highlander boasts three spacious rows with available seating for up to eight. It's available 362 horsepower. Hybrid Max powertrain unlimited and platinum trims delivers the power, acceleration, and efficiency so your family can take on any adventure. There's even a standard digital key, a panoramic view mirror, and a 12.3-inch multimedia touchscreen so you always arrive on time. Live life grander in the first ever Toyota Grand Highlander. Learn more at toyota.com slash Grand Highlander. 
Do you have a digital mindset? Check out Season 3 of This is Digital. Season 3 of This is Digital goes behind the scenes to reveal how digital trends show up in everyday decisions and actions, including driving profitable growth in enterprise software and how the new sports fan experience can drive revenue. Featuring guests like Chris D'Agostino of Databricks and Scott Crable of Tama Bravo. Check out the latest and greatest on Season 3 of This is Digital and learn more at westmonroe.com.